The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey there, it's a brand new week and we're happy to have you along with us on Afternoons with Mike Heard Daily here on the Shepherd Radio Network. And it's a big Monday. We uh, we have made some big announcements earlier today on the uh, Facebook and other social media spots where you saw that one week from today, we become the Dave Ramsey show. We become the station that carries the Dave Ramsey. It's actually now called the Ramsey show. So read about that on our Facebook page. And I think you're going to love it. Uh, my program will start next Monday at one o'clock here, as opposed to being in the three o'clock hour. So uh, that's a big change for me as well, and I'm looking forward to all of these things that are coming up. But again, check our Facebook page and you can see all the details. With me in the studio on this new day, I've got a first-timer here with me, Greg Snyder. Now, you're going to hear a new term. Greg Snyder has been rewired. How about, can I say that? He went through rewirement. That's another thing I could say. Greg spent a lot of years as an executive with Siemens Energy, about 40-plus year career. And at that point, when many people start to think about retirement, Greg started to think about rewirement. It's great to have you here. Great to be here, Mike. I am really looking forward to kind of unpacking all of that and finding out what it was about uh, this point in your life, you don't look old enough to be retired to begin with. So <laughs> that you've got that going for you. Unlike me, you've got most of your hair left. Yeah, that's not fair. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to my grandmother, I guess it is. Yeah, that's right. Genes that I had nothing to do with, nor did you. Yeah. Uh, that makes the difference for all of that. But this is pretty cool. 40 years in a pretty responsible position. A lot of people could feel at that stage of their lives that it's time to kick back and do a little fishing, do a little traveling. Uh, that wasn't what happened to you. No, I mean, I knew I've, I've had a very active multitasking lifestyle for my whole career, business, adult life. And uh, I knew that, uh, as John Piper would say, gathering seashells on the seashore was not what I envisioned for uh, retirement, nor playing golf, or even I love to fish, but even fishing full time. So no, I, I yeah, knew you God can only had a do plan. so much of that stuff, right? Yeah, it's only so I I could do more maybe, but no, I knew God. I had way too many skills, resources, experiences, uh, networks to just um, to basically follow what many people think is the American dream of of retiring and then just seeking full time pleasure. And and we both know that that yeah. that's not good for for you personally, and it's certainly not biblical. I agree with you completely, Greg. You know, when you talk about taking the first part of what you just said, not good for you personally. So many people, when they retire and they think, well, this is time now for me, it's almost like something clicks in their body and and they, they can often be gone in a year after that. I wonder what is going on with all that. Well, I think we're wired for purpose, Mike. Um, and there's a large aerospace company here in in, uh, in the Orlando area that there's actually a fear of people retiring because they retire and their their lifespan is only a couple of years in many cases. Yeah. So uh, I think 
and the, the biologists, psychologists, yeah. sociologists will all tell you that we, uh, men and women, need purpose in life. And when we lose that purpose and say we're going to seek full-time pleasure, uh, part of us is missing and, and our body reacts to um, that lack of stimulus. Yeah. And, and you, I mean, the incidences of, of mental health uh, are skyrocket. Uh, especially in in Caucasian men, uh, women are a little better at it because they're more social. They have mm-hmm. more social interaction. But men, especially, um, uh, have a, have a real problem of, of physical health, mental health upon retirement if they don't retire to something. Yeah. Now you mentioned the word purpose, and I think that's a real key here because there's a big difference in. A person that is, in a bad way, defined by what they do. We know that that's not good for them all by itself. Mm -hmm. Our definition should come from God and his purpose for our life. But when you talk about when a purpose uh, leaves a person, they, they no longer have that, and they find themselves that their work was their purpose, then that becomes a negative as well, and maybe even more so than what they could ever imagine. So if if their entire purpose was in the work field, making money, uh, becoming successful, going up the ladder, the corporate ladder, and then all of that's gone. All of that's gone. Yeah, it, I mean, that's that's a huge problem. Yeah. And, and it's even, it, it's probably maybe one of the worst countries just because we are so entrepreneurial, we're so driven to success as Americans um, or... or Western Europeans, um, and, and we have less of a sense of family than some other cultures do. So uh, a lot of our identity, way too much of our identity for a lot of people is wrapped up in their job. Yeah, um, no There could be other things you get wrapped up too that, that kind of go away and you, and you lose purpose. So, I mean, if you're, if you're looking at a whole variety of, uh, of things that people chase outside of, of stuff kingdom-minded, then any of those things, but in, in most cases... Uh, and the thing that I've studied and, and are working through and helping other people work through is uh, finding purpose after, you know, a, a very long secular career mm-hmm. uh, such as I had in the energy business. Now, if you just tuned in, I'm talking to Greg Snyder. He spent 40 years plus with Siemens Energy. And at some point you became a believer. How old were you when that happened? I was raised in the church, um, but to, you know, I was, I guess, following, but not actively seeking God's will. Uh, I didn't really, I kind of, uh, maybe an analogous to, uh, the road to Emmaus where, where Jesus was walking by my side for years and years and years. I didn't really recognize it, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, in, 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 in recognize him in his current form. And it was actually when I moved to Orlando, maybe 25, 28 years ago, I was sitting in a small group and all of a sudden it kind of hit me big time that um, it was all true. What I was reading in the Bible was all true. And I mean, I believed before, but I didn't really personalize it and then acknowledge that there was more to uh, my walk with Jesus than just believing. Yeah. Now, you also know, 25 years ago, you're an adult already, you also know a lot of people in the area involved in men's ministry and helping people just like you get connected to other people. It may not be natural and normal for guys to do that, but we here in Central Florida especially, 
we're blessed with a lot of ministries and a lot of ministry leaders uh, like David Hill, like Pete Alwinson. These men are leading, our, I think, of uh, uh, the uh, man in the mirror. I, I think of Pat Morley. All of these guys like that really give Central Florida men an opportunity to get involved with other men that's going to help them hold their hands, if you will, uh, to the task of being accountable and staying pure in with the Lord. That helps too, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, we have a rich group of resources here. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, we have a you know we have a great group of churches. Right? Yeah, I agree. Um, whether you're a denominationally based, you know, uh, whether it's Catholic or Baptist or non-denominational, there are so many really good churches uh, across the Central Florida area. And then you have things like Forge, Pete Alwinson's group, mm-hmm. uh, or uh, or um, Iron Man of God, um, David Hill's group out in in Winter Garden. You have these men's groups um, that help guys connect, mm-hmm. not not only with God, uh, and not only with purpose, but also with each other. Because we yeah. need to be working side by side with each other to hold each other accountable and, and be there when the, when the stormy days come. Now, you mentioned that awakening that happened to you 25 years ago, and you're sitting there. You'd read the Bible. You'd been a part of going to church you know, earlier in your life, or like you said, raised in a church. Uh, do you f- find it that a lot of guys your age, that same thing happened to them as as did to you? I think a lot of guys, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I think I was a late bloomer, honestly, Mike. Uh, I, I think a, a lot of my generation, you know, we're roughly the same age, um, were raised in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, I strayed from the church in my college years and uh, early professional career years and had a, a godly wife that uh, engaged <laughs> me back into the church. We worked together and we, uh, you know, had it when, when we had our first child, again, that's in one of these triggers that help bring you back to that the church. That is a big trigger. Right. And we had a, a neat local church that we started going to and a men's group. And, uh, so I guess I was kind of on the edge, but when I just, when this kind of hit me hard at this, just sitting in a, in our, at a conference room at a church office that, I really needed to engage, and this really yeah. was something super, supernaturally special. Do you count that as being your point of being born again, or would you have felt? No, that- I think I think I was probably born again the way I understand the Bible. I mean, I believed, I knew I was, you know, I need, I needed God. I was a okay. sinner. So yeah, I, that helps I, me I guess I was there. I guess as the uh, the analogy I've heard is, I had a, a pilot light going on in my furnace. <laughs> but the main jets weren't on. That's right. So all of a sudden, I, you got I realized serious for God. I got serious for God, and yeah. then I, I started processing, praying, talking to others about what that might look like as as I matured uh, in, in both in in service, you know, mm-hmm. in in community space, as well as what that might look like in the workplace. So tell me about being an executive in a big company like Siemens, and yet having this thing called faith really be a part of your life. Those two things, in a lot of people's minds, they don't mix well. How did you navigate that? How did you mitigate that? Yeah, I I have always been a people person. Um, so I enjoyed mentoring young people and, and it, my peer group or whoever that I could, I could help out personally. Um, so that was one way that you kind of work through um, 
maybe hard questions that they might be facing mm -hmm. uh, in a workplace environment. Uh, I've always, and if challenged, and I never was at Siemens because they were a, a fabulous company. If I've ever challenged, I would say, look, if, if somebody has a train wreck at home, um, then that's going to impact their work life. So if you can help people with their relationships, uh, with their family, with their life balance issues, um, and, and if that involves a church, that's all, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. It was not ever, never, you know, forcing, you know, somebody needed to go to church, but all that came together in the workplace and, and like a lot of us in the workplace, my modeling, I guess, was attractive to some people. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, how I, I spent my time, how I talked about things, what I did and didn't do on the road. <laughs> well, yeah, and then the uh, fact that you've got a marriage. Yeah, I got a fabulous yeah, marriage. Yeah, and, that uh, itself is, for some people, uh, uh, like a major miracle. How how did you do that? It was kind of neat, though. Uh, Westinghouse was the company that I started with that was bought by Siemens. The Almost the entire senior leadership team um, had solid, healthy marriages. That's wonderful. I mean, I, I would say like 80 to 85%, way bigger than the statistical mm -hmm. thing for the United States. So the DNA of our, our, our corporate culture was um, that kind of strong personal relationship with, with a spouse and family. Yeah. Now, I think that was maybe God's will to kind of keep me aligned early on or, it, you know, it just happened that way, but um, probably the former. Uh, but we did have a great, our whole leadership team for the most part, other than one or two individuals, uh, were very uh, good, good parents, good spouses, and... Um, First marriages. Hmm. Now you mentioned that uh, you've been married a while. How many years have you and your bride been together? Uh, just uh, let's see. I got married a little over forty years ago. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, one year, about a year after I started working for Siemens. Right in the eighties, right? Yeah. Yeah. We got married. That's great. That's so. I remember wonderful. March twenty seventh. Well, I don't remember exactly the year. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, Cindy and I will celebrate 47 this year in September. So I, we're, we're from a family, uh, both sides of our families, of long marriages, our parents, very blessed with that. And I'm just so, uh, it's so hurtful to hear people's stories. So you're one of the blessed people yeah. that able to say they've been married over 40 years. Right. And it's going strong. And, you know, at some point you also then began to, I guess, look a little forward past that rewirement age of where you were going to be ending all that work at Siemens. Uh, when did this thing start rolling in you about uh, what you now gotten involved with? Yeah. How, how soon into that did that happen? Well, there were a couple of triggers. One is that, uh, my bride, I still call her my bride, um, had a heart to heart with me one day about life and work balance. Um, and, uh, one day I just was not paying attention and I was sh showing my age. I was on my Blackberry. Uh, <laughs> that, that's a while. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and and I managed a multiple time zone Salesforce yeah. and marketing group. And I had engineering guys there too. And she said, look, I understand you have a high intensity job, a lot of responsibility. Um, and you have multiple time zones that report to you, so you can't always get home at a reasonable hour. But you need to be there for the family in the morning. So keep your BlackBerry off. 
spend time with us, walk, walk yeah. our daughter to yeah. the bus stop. So I started thinking that, that was kind of a, like, you know, at first I was stupid enough to start arguing with her and then I went, no, she's absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, so then I started thinking about life and work balance. And then I looked around me and this was, I guess our daughter was five, eight, something like that, mm -hmm. early, early school years. And she's a little over 30 now. So it shows you rough, roughly 25 years ago, I was starting to think about work-life balance. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of actually getting to a point of thinking about rewirement, I'd say that so I've been retired um, almost five years now. I, I would say probably 15 years ago, or maybe 10 mm -hmm. years before I, I retired, I started thinking about um, what life would look like after work and how I could incorporate some of my passions within the kingdom work in and around the workplace then yeah. the last 10 years. Now about this time, you're still in very involved in, in local churches and, yeah. and I'm sure there were some mission work going on that you had taken part of as well. Yeah. My uh, daughter first went to Guatemala when she was very young, like 10. And my wife went soon after that. And then a couple of years later, I was a slow learner in that area. Uh, we got involved with a place called Prince of Peace Home for Girls in, in uh, Guatemala City. And so, so I got more and more involved in uh, this girl for abuse, uh, this home for abused girls in Guatemala. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Ultimately, I ended up leading the board. So I kind of got more and more involved. You got very involved. Yeah, yeah. I did. Uh, so that was kind of my first step in the international side. But but both my wife, Pam, and I were always interested in, in food banks and, and uh, hunger relief here locally. So we've been involved in a number of, of, uh, of local groups here, um, partially supported by Second Harvest and mm -hmm. groups like that. Oh, that's so, great. So we were we were involved in, in kind of local food ministry, always been involved in care teams for the people within the church. And, but the only international piece was, uh, was at that time, Prince of Peace in Guatemala. Well, you also got involved later on with a group called SAFE, and we're gonna hear about that. My guest is Greg Snyder, and uh, we'll be back with Greg in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike, and you're on The Shepherd. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. Palm Beach Atlantic University Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. If you just tuned in, I have as my guest today, Greg Snyder. Greg is a 40-year-plus career executive with Siemens, and some time back, uh, he went through his time, not retirement, but rewirement, and uh, I love that. I, I don't, I told Greg, I don't think I've ever heard that term like that, but I instantly loved it, and I'm going to steal it from you <laughs> and use it myself, man. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, 
I think I give credit to David Hill. Oh uh, man! And and I don't know whether I, I'm a client of his at um, uh, Integrated Wealth Solutions, and uh, he's also heads up uh, Iron Man of God over in, in Winter Garden. But I, we were just talking about uh, retiring with purpose, and I I think he came up with a phrase rewarm. And I I've since seen it elsewhere on the internet, wow. but never in, in the same uh, context of as as retiring with purpose. Yeah, yeah he should have. Uh... Copyrighted or whatever you do for that stuff. Absolutely. That's right, because that is really good. And it is one of those statements that really says a lot. It's not just that we're retiring. We are not. And even that, I mean, the image of retirement in America has been, you know, RVs and trips abroad. And and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. I'm I'm all for that. If that's what God's called you to do, I, I would agree with you completely that when a lot of people get to that age, if they have not got a purpose, ongoing purpose in their life, and it's um, it's the same thing when parents with children don't cultivate their marriage, and then their children get married, and they, they're out of the house, and they find themselves living with someone that they don't know all that mm-hmm. well, even though they've lived side by side. So it is something to really think about, and like you did, plan for. Yeah, I had a little help. I, I, I a very famous book called Halftime. Um, Bob Buford, I think, wrote the book, and, and he talked about things you could do kingdom wise halfway through your career. Now, I I got into it probably at year thirty as opposed to year twenty, but I, I did. It was a, it's a great book, and and I recommend it uh, for people that are kind of mid to late late career um, or I, you know thinking about retirement or retired. It's just it's mm-hmm. kind of a timeless book about purpose in life. So that yeah. kind of started steering me and kind of helping me gel my thought on what rewirement would look like. Yeah. Well, you're doing it and it's really showing. And the the group that you're here now, you're really involved. You mentioned already the, the Prince of Peace in uh, Guatemala City or uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Guatemala yep. City. Uh, but there's this other group called SAFE. Tell us about that. Yeah. Maybe kind of to set the background a little bit. Um, when I read in my rewirement, I, I kind of gotten to a point where a third of my life I spend in business consulting on the energy side, just using my my breadth of experience with Siemens. A third of my life in in nonprofit leadership, and then a third of my life in what we would consider traditional uh, retirement fun activities. Uh, you know fun family, fishing, whatever. Do you keep those percentages pretty accurately? Um, it ebbs and flows. All right. Uh, at honest. times, my consulting business is, takes a little more time. Um, go on vacation, obviously, that takes a big chunk. So I guess if you look in a, a year-long period, uh, other than the time, and we'll talk about SAFE in a second, that that uh, starting a new business or a new nonprofit or an alliance as this is, that that kind of skews your, mm-hmm. uh, your third, yeah. a third, a third. Yeah. But I think overall, if I look over the last, uh, five years, it's been pretty close to, yeah. to that, that percentage. That's great. So tell us about safe. So safe is, is, is a nonprofit alliance. It's not a nonprofit per se. It's an alliance of nonprofits, uh, law enforcement, and we call, um, champions that help support our activities. And it is to tackle and help nonprofits tackle the horrific problem of human trafficking in Central Florida. And that's a big problem. 
Yeah, not widely known, but uh, Orlando ranks the third worst per capita yeah. city in the United States for human trafficking. And That's Florida, so hard to believe. And Florida is the third worst state. And this, yeah. In terms of statistics, it's kind of a dark world, obviously, but through calls to the hotline, uh, we can kind of piece together the the amount of trafficking here in Central Florida yeah. and in Florida per se. And, and it's a real, real hotbed for a number of reasons. Yeah, and we've got all the parks, so you've got a lot of people. Then that brings a lot of young people. So there's a lot of youth. Right. And a lot of kids from broken families, aging out of the foster care system, whatever, um, leave parts of the United States and they go a couple of different places. They say, well, I'll, I'll go to Orlando to get a job at Disney. Okay. Or I'll go out to Las Vegas and get a job at a casino. Or I'll go out to Hollywood and or L.A. and get a job in in, yeah. in movies. And they figure out how to get these places, including Central Florida, with no means once they're here. And then they are befriended and groomed by traffickers. Yeah. And next thing you know, they're uh, they're sucked into this really horrific lifestyle. And you know, when they're alone, if they're here as a young person, like you said, working at one of the parks, they sometimes don't see this coming, this grooming or this relationship. It looks very innocuous. It might even look really wonderful, like a blessing to their hearts. They think, man, I'm fortunate. And then they find out the bad part, the dark side right. of this whole thing. is And, it's and pretty a lot dark. of them don't even get to the point of getting a job at one of the, the theme parks or the uh, hospitality industry. Uh, they're sucked up by traffickers and uh, befriended boyfriend, girlfriend at first and groomed. And then next thing you know, they're involved in partying and often drugs are involved. And next thing you know, they're in a spot where they can't get out. Yeah. Or, and the lies that go on from these groomers, uh, it's horrendous. Yes. They're, I mean, they're to the point where some groomers, uh, will walk around college campuses with a Bible uh, at the beginning of the school year and say, hey, would you like to study the Bible with me or join this Bible study or whatever? So, I mean, they're, yeah. I mean they have no scruples, obviously. Yeah, they, uh, they don't. And, and it's, it's the, the rapid, most rapidly growing crime globally. Yeah. In fact, there was just a neat movie. It just was released called uh, The Sound of Freedom. If, if your audience hasn't seen it, I recommend going to see it. And it's talking about... Um, human trafficking, mostly children, international, but um, it, it kind of does gives you an idea of just the uh, what a horrible crime it is against yeah. children or young men and young women. And Jim Caviezel, mm-hmm. uh, I think, yeah. is the star of that right. one. Passion yeah. of the Christ, lead yeah. actor. That's right. Passion of the Christ. He played that part, and he played it with amazing ability. It's just a, really an incredible moving film from several years back. And I've heard nothing but good things about this one. Uh, this whole thing, there's a, there's a part of this that I think one reason why it's really difficult to get uh, maybe the message out the way we'd like to, it's it's hard to hear. Oh, it is. It is. And that's and that was kind of one of our, our uh, objectives here as SAFE. Um, and, you know, safe, SAFE was not an organization before kind of three of us went to a uh, National Christian Foundation conference. Um, called Impact 2019. And, and we heard a very dynamic young woman by the name of Heather talk about the safe model in the state of Washington and, and how an alliance of businesses and nonprofits came together to fight human trafficking in a unique way. 
and that kind of triggered the business side, my Siemens side of my head, because mm -hmm. I, you know, in, in in the corporate world, when you're building billion dollar power plants or or wind farms or whatever, you often have alliances or joint ventures and all stuff. But that that is hardly ever done in the nonprofit space. So the idea of having an alliance of of organizations, uh, the ones that are in the trenches fighting human trafficking, and the ones that are helping uh, victims recover, uh, maybe marrying them with churches with resources or business resources. I really thought that was a great idea. And then we learned how, how awful the, the situation was here in central Florida. And I always thought that, that human trafficking was a problem over there, like over in Thailand, mm -hmm. over yeah. in Korea Which it is. or whatever it is. Yeah. But I didn't realize it was in my neighborhood on our yeah. campuses. So when I learned those two pieces, then, then, uh, uniqueness of the alliance model in nonprofit space with the dire nature of the human trafficking problem in central Florida. Um, myself and two friends of mine that would, um, we just happened to meet there. We were walking out of this breakout session and we said, somebody has got to do something about this. And we joke now we looked around, there was nobody else there. Just you. So the three of us decided, mm -hmm. well, God, if you want us to do something about it, you're going to have to open a lot of doors because we have no clue what we're doing. Uh, and long story short here, four years later, we have 60 Alliance members, uh, all major law enforcement groups, 25 plus nonprofits, businesses, um, a great number of churches, all pulling together to fight human trafficking as a mm -hmm. group, as a vote, as opposed to individual group, uh, individual nonprofits. Now you mentioned seeing this model elsewhere that uh, I think it was out west someplace that you saw the model. Explain this alliance uh, part of this whole process. How is it that you're able to pull together these different sectors from the community and having this common vision, common goal? Yeah, it, it, it is unique. And I hadn't seen it before, um, even with my limited nonprofit experience. But basically the the concept is um, you get all the key nonprofits that are in the movement to fight human trafficking in a, in a region, central Florida, mm -hmm. and, and you together as a group identify the most urgent and most strategic services or needs that are not being met by the existing infrastructure or existing group. And, and then you marry those needs with fresh resources. In our case, we decided that the church, the big church, had to be a part of this. Washington State, the person, Heather, that started it had a philanthropic background with the Gates Foundation. So she already had a, a great network of businesses. We didn't have that here with the three of us. Uh, and, and then fortunately, um, we have uh, one of the co-founders with me had a relationship uh, with a, uh, a woman that was a former prosecutor in human trafficking. So we had, uh, it's kind of the legal like, sign cover. Oh, it's a neat, yeah. so it's like almost like a, a, a neat team. And I had, uh, oh, the one gal that I worked with at Siemens was chief financial officer of a group. So she had all the organization, the financial strength. Uh, her husband is an IT guy, very smart at setting up web pages and things like that. Uh, he, uh, was a scuba dive buddy of, of this gal that now works for Homeland security. Um, and had great depth in, in terms of what was really happening in Central Florida. And I was the guy that would kind of help 
um, talk about what our needs were and help create vision. Mm -hmm. And then I'm fearless when it comes to talking to churches about this is the the mission of the church. Mm -hmm. So that's our kind of our executive team. Yeah. We pulled it together and then uh, National Christian Foundation uh, helped us organize our vision team. NCF. NCF. Yeah. And, and they're actually our back office for all of our nonprofits. So we, um, we, um, take contributions from churches and individuals, uh, through NCF. And then we have a grant process where we give those to the most urgent strategic projects out there, uh, in in the movement that are being addressed. Now that organization that you've just mentioned, a lot of people haven't heard about that either. It's, it's kind of like working very low key in the background, but again, a, a real major player in this whole nonprofit uh, kind of sector, a force that's going on in the background, but making a major change in our area. Yeah, Safe Central Florida was not in existence before 2019, and we launched in the middle of COVID. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and God's opened door after door after door uh, between support from the mayor, support from um, the, the Central Florida Task Force to fight human trafficking, which is Osceola. Orange and uh, Seminole County uh, police forces, MBI. So we have all the law enforcement side, state uh, attorney's office, um, advocates within the state system for for victims, uh, and then aligned with churches, and then all coming together with the nonprofit space. Uh, and, and and it's neat because we get and we have a, a quarterly non uh, alliance meeting. And it's it's fabulous to see the ideas sharing between nonprofits that are maybe in in on the same highway but in different lanes. Yeah, uh, some are working on um, uh, on education and prevention. Some are working alongside with law enforcement on intervention, and some are are, are working on restoration of survivors. Um, so if we can help, kind of pull all those groups together to to share ideas, mm-hmm. share resources, um, and then kind of get a common movement together. That's kind of our, our mission at SAFE. We've got a break coming up in a couple of minutes, but before we do, I'd love for your thoughts on the current climate in our country right now. We can start with Florida, but then expand it beyond. What are the great hindrances that we have uh, that are really, you'd think they should be all on the same team, but sometimes you feel like you're getting pushback. What would those hindrances be? Yeah, in the human trafficking space, um, as a ton of support for restoration of survivors of victims that that's pretty clear you you take a young woman or in some cases a young man or uh, out of away from her trafficker uh and, and you help rebuild her life after and there are homes time. that that yes, are doing there are that. facilities here mm-hmm. in central florida way too few mm-hmm. there's a huge shortage of beds and and programs here but um or work that's one of our our major objectives um so so you take you take that piece of of the puzzle uh and then you just um that's easy to kind of tell a story but that the, the side that prevents you from really making a big impact is is the prevention or demand side i mean you, that gets into really thorny issues like you know pornography or um are just breaking the thought that that uh, if a man is is having sex, buying sex from a woman, uh, that you know, it's a high likelihood that that she does not want to do this. Yeah. She may act like she wants to do this. Yeah. These are these are subjects you don't talk about at, at your kitchen table. Right. These are subjects you don't talk about in the church for the most part. Some churches do, most don't. 
that that you know pornography how how men treat women um and, and just this whole idea of 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 commercial sex trade yeah um, and then the whole impact that uh, the current impact that Hollywood is bringing with movies and things that are introducing young people to a sensualized uh, lifestyle that is really playing right into the hands of this these this group of people who are groomers. Right. Uh, you know, we're we're almost producing kids that are more susceptible. Yeah, I mean, you you talk to a, a young teen and, and they will tell you that every day they have an opportunity to see pornography. Every day mm. they're approached by somebody on the internet that they don't know yeah. uh, for what purposes they don't know. Yeah. Every day um, they have they have friends that are, are kind of laughing about this. So mm. um, there, there's, there's, a, uh, there's, there's not enough warning signs out there. And, and that's something we're, maybe after the break we can talk about, yeah. something that we're, we're thinking about doing in 24 that will maybe help bring more light uh, to uh, the young people in our community about what this looks like. Well, let's do that. That very thing on the other side of the break. My guest today is Greg Snyder. Greg is here today, among other things, talking about this organization called SAFE. And we'll be back with Greg in just a moment. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top train comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Greg Snyder is here. He spent 40 plus years as an executive for a big energy company called Siemens. I know we've heard of that. And uh, he has just come to the Lord about, uh, really about 25 years ago or so, in a profound way, the kind of way that I believe God wants all of us to come to. To where it's not just something in our head, but it captivates our heart and really motivates us. And that's what rewirement for you is all about. And uh, I'm excited about that. I know you're going to be appearing uh, with Mark Goldstein, I believe, on the, this coming Saturday's program with uh, Shepherd at Work. And you'll be talking more about rewirement and how that impacted you. Uh, closing out this issue with SAFE, again, this trafficking issue is, it's gnarly. I mean, people don't want to hear about it. They, it's dark. It's ugly. It's depressing. But it is something I, I want to just address it. I want to press in just another moment on this to say, what what do you think people need to know that they don't know mm-hmm. about this ministry? I think I think the awareness is being aware of the human trafficking situation in Central Florida is probably paramount to helping prevention and, and intervention. Like most of us, I was not aware that this was happening in my own backyard. I thought this was happening in foreign countries or if it was happening here, it was, um, young women that were uh, kidnapped from another country Mm -hmm. and brought here. For the most part, that's not the case. Yeah. For the most part, 80, some point S people, 90% of the current, um, Victims of this crime are kids, our kids, American yeah. kids, 
that are broken groomed. families from yeah. the foster care yeah. system, whatever, coming here to Orlando yeah. looking for a job. Yeah. Uh, and they get sucked up into this thing. So, and the groomers can be anywhere from a coach to a teacher, even a parent. Yeah. I mean, they're parents, um, not as much parents, but some, some relatives are, 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 um, sometimes yeah. traffickers. Yeah. Um, you know, coaches and teachers sometimes I think, but these, most of these people are full-time traffickers mm-hmm. and that's not a, it's not something they do on the side. Um, but it's somebody that acts as a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, uh, or, uh, you know, uh, 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 maybe a talent coach yeah. or helping them or an employment person, help them be, maybe be your agent uh, or just a boyfriend, girlfriend. And then they mm-hmm. kind of spend time with them and, and f- feel a need that this person has had in terms of a, a lack of love and attention. And then they, they're manipulated into doing things that they would never imagine doing a year or two before. So for that purpose and for our ongoing understanding and growing with a conviction to help people in this, what's the website that you can point people to to gain more information about the trafficking uh, efforts that SAFE is putting out? Yeah, you can go to our website, safecentralflorida.com. Um, and then there you can, there's a lots of resources there. You can look at our newsletters. You can look at our alliance members uh, and websites to each of their, um, their particular levels of expertise. Yeah. Um, there are... Uh, there's a number of groups that are on the teaching side. So if you uh, have a need for someone that uh, could come to your church or your business and, and talk about human trafficking, the signs of it, what to do if you see it, uh, there's a lot of resources there. Yeah, uh, And they can reach out to me on, on the website as well. That's right, because you're there under the about. You can read the bios of the leaders that Greg mentioned earlier. His uh, bio is there as well. And again, that is safecentralflorida.com. Now, as we mentioned, there's more to it than just the trafficking that you're a part of. You love missions work. We've talked about, again, what you've done in the past with that. But I know there's another real kind of an avenue of involvement that you are excited about, right? Yeah, this time last year, I was in Malawi, Africa uh, with a great uh, group called Africa Windmill Project, which is a winter park uh, founded nonprofit. Uh, so there's a group in central Florida that has a nonprofit that is aimed at helping Africa. Yeah, it is probably now it is the most efficient, well thought through nonprofit international nonprofit I've ever worked with. Wow. And, um, yeah, the story is a, a group of people went, um, with summit church over to Malawi, um, to work potentially with AIDS, uh, victims and survivors. And one of the, the gentlemen that was on the group said like, these people are starving. They, they need food. And, and no matter how good of an AIDS clinic you build, no matter how much, how good drugs you have, if they don't have basic nutrition, then none of this really matters. So, and he said, I'm from West Texas. I mean, I, I know how to help irrigate. And long story short, he started working on uh, wind turbine designs and little hand pump designs. And um, he and his wife created this fabulous ministry um, right here, homegrown, that uh, is helping thousands and thousands of farmers in Malawi, Africa. Wow. You know, it's hard to get our brain around in America what these people are going through, because not only do they not have enough food, they often don't have water. 
and that's clean water. Correct. Uh, and when they, what they do get is often uh, very difficult to obtain, a lot of effort. People carry these large bottles. So it's, it's not like at all where we just turn a, here in America, turn on a tap and the water pours out. Not at all there, right? Yeah. And, and Africa Windmill Project does two things. One, it helps connect villages with water resources, drinking water resources. But there are, there are great groups that do that. Yeah. World Vision's one of them. Uh, but but our, our group really focuses on the irrigation side. Because right now, um, Malawi has two seasons. They have a wet season where they grow all their food and a dry season. Um, and, well, which actually, is really dry. Which is very dry. Yeah, right. It's actually three seasons. a wet season, dry season, and what they call, Mike, the season of hunger. Oh. So ma- many farmers, many, like millions of farmers, run out of food oh. at the end of the dry season, beginning of the wet season, until the, the crops start producing. Mm-hmm. So... Millions of farmers right now try in the dry season, they use a, a, a dipping bucket, like you would water your flowers, and they try to keep tomatoes or onions or, or some legume um, alive during the dry season to survive until they can get the corn and other materials yeah. in the wet season to grow. So we're not talking about, again, a, a little bit of a 10% cut in their food amount that we're talking about people who might have a bean a day. Yeah. yeah they, they're, yeah. they're, they're starving. They literally run out of food. Yeah. A lot of cases in 10 yeah. or 11 months of the year. I and mean, and they have a month or two of, of hunger. And it's children too. Oh yeah. In fact, the, one of the, the stimulus for the founder, um, John Drake's name in Kimberly, uh, was he looked at his son and the son of another villager that were the same age. And there was a foot difference in height. Oh wow. Just because of lack of nutrition. Yeah. So he said, like, I know how to, I mean, Malawi has fabulous soil. Hmm. They have fabulous sunshine. Yeah. They have a good wind resource and they have a stable government. They just need to get the water from, for, the water table is only five feet down, five to 10 feet down. They just need to get water up five feet with some irrigation, some training, some crop rotations, just simple stuff that American farmers learned in, you know, Hundred years ago. Now it sounds to almost overly simplified, but it is not. Uh, people can literally get in touch with you, and with just a one contact, find themselves working in a, a very satisfying, very kind of incredibly effective ministry that is going on and doing what a lot of people have longed, secretly longed for in their hearts to get involved in a way that their their life is making a difference overseas. Right. This is kind of like as as mature and dark as the safe fighting human traffic thing is, this is a much easier thing to do as a family. I mean, you can sponsor a family. You can you can you can um buy a a hand pump for a family. Um, and you can change the, their food security for the rest of their lives for wow. an investment of like a hundred dollars. It's ridiculous. Wow. I mean, you, you know, for a hundred dollars, African windmill can go to a family, help them with, uh, planning, crop rotation, how to fertilize, help them build their pump, help them make sure they're putting the well in the right place and then help them with irrigation strategies wow. and then help them. How do you go to market? And and it's 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 unbelievable how effective a hundred dollars will be in, in changing the lifestyle of a family. Instead and if people of, do that, if people give a hundred for that, 
and they know they're doing what you just said, but they're also going to get benefit because you're it's a nonprofit. It right? is. You got the, the full five hundred one c three yeah uh, tax tax uh, benefit of that, uh, but it's something you can do as a family. Now, if you're a corporation, you want to sponsor a windmill. It's a couple thousand dollars, but that takes care of a whole village. Yeah, a big farm. And the neat part is, and it's this is still tied to the kind of the injustice side of the world. If you have a viable um, community, a viable village that's growing enough food, then kids aren't leaving the village to go to the city to seek work without resources. And they runs into the same problem with trafficking or violence against the kids because they, they move into the cities. And that's what happened to a lot of the African countries that they have these giant slums uh, mm-hmm. horrible areas where kids have left the villages because they didn't have food, they didn't have employment, whatever. And you get these irrigation programs moving and all of a sudden now kids can go to school. They're not toting water eight to 10 hours yeah, a day right. to survive. Yeah. And what a difference to have that water right there. Not only is it available, but it's clean, it's safe, and it will make all the difference in the world. It's like you said, it's a life-changing effort. And I have friends who are involved in some of these similar type of ministries like what you're doing. And the pictures are just nothing but amazing. And it it does. It floods my heart with joy to think about what you're doing and how rewirement for you has been getting involved. It's it's stepping out of just all the blessings that God has given you in, in given us here in America and sharing that with people who are less fortunate as these people are in Malawi. Yeah. And they're, and they're also, I mean, I have an image of, in one of the, the, the employees, Africa windmill project told me that we, we kind of a neat story for another time. Maybe is we, um, we found a number of Bibles in Chichawa, which is a local language. And when the villages learned that there were Bibles available, they ran to, Isn't that something? To this this section where, where the Bibles were given out, there wow. was such a thirst for having a Bible. Wow, wow, that, that <laughs> blesses my heart, man. All right, this is great, Greg Snyder with Safe. Give us the website one more Safe time. Safe is safecentralflorida.com. S A F E. S A F E. Centralflorida.com. And the other ministry that uh, that, that works on hunger relief in Malawi is AfricaWindmill.org. All right. I really appreciate you taking the time to come in and discussing all of this with us, Greg. This is great. And many thanks and hats off to David Hill for connecting us. Yeah, that's great. I'm so glad that he did. He was on my program a oh, year and a half ago or something like that. I think it was post-pandemic, but uh, it's been a while. And uh, tell him I said hello. I'll do that, Mike. Yeah, this is great. I'd love to have him back up on my program. Greg, thank you for being here, and we look forward to uh, hearing you also on Mark. You're coming back to the studio for that program. Yeah, we're going to unpack a little bit about rewirement in the workplace and some things Uh, that I did at Siemens. Well, a little more than just the mentoring side. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll talk to, with Mark about that. Mark is a great guy. Mark Goldstein hosts The Shepherd at Work, which is heard at 4.05 every Saturday right here on The Shepherd. And uh, man, it's been great to get to know you a little bit, Greg, and I love what you're doing. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Thanks All for right. having me. And we'll see you guys next time right here on Afternoons with Mike. 